0: Back to another
1: episode of On the Bench with Beaks, where we like our zebras on two skates and a whistle on their hand. My name is Cody Beekman, and I am joined always at, with Nick Adams.
2: Hey, fellas, how we doing?
1: And Bryce McMillan. Hey, hi, hello. Today we've got such an incredible episode we've got a 30-year veteran of the the whistle the zebras we're talking about dave jackson dave uh give us a little intro and tell us a little bit about yourself
0: well cordy thanks for having me first uh always a pleasure to talk with hockey fans i uh, started refereeing i was playing hockey started refereeing as a kid Refereed simultaneously uh, as i was playing hockey up till uh, junior and then um NHL invited me to training camp when I was 21 years old in 1986 and I hoped to impress them and I guess I did because they kept me on and they kept me there for 32 years after that 25 years in NHL full time retired in 2018 and now I'm uh, do a gig with ESPN as an analyst.
1: We're so excited to uh, talk more about this. How you got into it? So um, uh, let's kick this uh, episode off with a little bit of league talk. Um, lately, uh, we—I mean, it's—it's it's not. I, I wouldn't say lately, but I mean, it's, there's always a uh, burning question about hits to the head. So I mean, the best time to talk about you know corals and how how the league goes about this is to ask a uh, 30-year man. So uh, what what the what referees on the ice really do. To to make those
0: calls sure. Well, as I said, suspendable goes to New York Uh, That is something we don't control as officials. They see sometimes stuff. We don't Uh, the good rule of thumb in a uh, Hit to the head is right away. You recognize it. It raises your antenna. Your arm goes up in the air If the player tends to pop back up and there's no apparent injury, it's probably going to be a two-minute minor if the player stays down um, some people say, "What if he's What if he's embellishing?" Well, we're not doctors; we can't tell. If the player stays down, it'll probably be a five-in game. If the player pops right back up, you're probably gonna have a two-minute minor. And having said that, if he pops back up, but the referees the referees always get together and they they talk about it. They go, "What did you see from your angle?" Even though I'm the one who called it, they ask the linesman for input, and if they feel it's malicious. It was intentional, he targeted the head. And even if there doesn't appear to be an injury, they will call five in game. And right now they have the great option of going to video review if they do call five in game. That will confirm the call, and then if after watching it on video they don't feel it was that bad, they can rescind it to two minutes. So that's a great uh, tool in their toolbox. They have. Oh
1: well, yeah, I mean, like the the game is so fast at this point, it's just like it's it's really hard for you guys, you know, just being on the ice. I mean, uh, there's always you know good views, bad views. So I mean that that video review is really just a, like uh, just an incredible tool in in your back pocket. So I mean, like that's got that's got to make the job a little bit. Worse easier. It's oh yeah. Hard, it's hard to stay it's hard to stay like right on everything. I mean, how do you guys uh how do you guys really kinda like combat the speed of the game, if you will?
0: Well, I mean, I'm envious of all the video technology we have now. (laughs) I mean, I can think of people always ask me, you remember your great calls? I don't really remember any of my great calls. I remember the calls I missed, the calls that were bad. And to have had video, to be able to review them and maybe get the call right would have been amazing. But I think what people don't realize is when you do a job for 20, 30 years, you kind of anticipate where to look, where the play is going to go, what you should be looking at. And... You know, the, the missed calls, the bad calls stand out, but they're one of probably a thousand decisions a referee makes in a night. And not every decision is the call. A referee makes a lot of non calls, but he's still making a decision and you know, these guys get it right ninety nine percent of the time, and unfortunately the only ones that really draw any
3: attention are the ones that are wrong. That is true. I mean well, we we love to blame people, so I mean I I mean definitely not sitting in your shoes sir but um just as I you know refs you know you know through the certain years here it's different you know it's in front of like parents and other people all the time and it's you know you have some little people complaining but in you know 30,000 people and you know stands does it pressure give you a lot of pressure as referees to to the call or anything how hard is it for you to ignore it is it a big thing at all
0: it's pretty easy to ignore the glass is so high the music the music if it's a stoppage the music's so loud you ignore the crowd the the pressure comes internally about just being right and worrying about getting it right because you're scrutinized and rated by your bosses every game if there's no one in the building live which there is probably 30 40% of the time they're watching you in Toronto making notes And playoff assignments are based on your performance. So the pressure comes from within. Mm -hmm. But also, because you're insulated, the glass being so high, you can hear the coaches and hear the players. And that adds pressure sometimes, especially if it's a legendary coach, or the bench is on you. That's where the pressure comes from. The fans, you know the fans are biased. They're no rooting for really their down,
3: team. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, a follow-up question to that is, do you guys meet as referees after the game? Do you guys have higher reps who just kind of say, here's what could have been happened better, a decision could have been made this way, or a solution could have been made better, here's what you missed? Like, do absolutely. You guys things?
0: Yeah, we have supervisors that travel all across the league, and they're going to be at your game probably 40% of the time. They come down and give you an immediate debrief, but you also, after every game, you get to watch your game on on, uh, on your laptop and every call you've made and every call they think you should have made is all clipped and you just click on the thing and it's pretty easy and right away you see the call you want to see or the, maybe the call you don't want to see because you missed it i mean well
1: uh, like you guys really have the the most like dissected and uh, microscoped uh, position um uh, nick w- w- what you got to say here bud hey
2: dave you were talking about you remember someone like the ones that you missed and how you were envious of the technology today just from a fan's perspective is there one in particular if you don't mind me asking is there one in particular that you recall that stands out that you think you might have messed up? I'm just curious. Uh,
0: you know, it, not not one in particular that I... There's there's very few that I've called. I mean, I remember I called a high stick once, a double minor for high sticking in a playoff game, and it turns out it was a follow-through. Uh, okay. And and I could have rescinded it, and I did, and the team scored a goal, and I'd have been a winning goal, so... That stuck with me for a while, but um, I was really thankful when they brought in the video technology just for goals. Because prior to 2000, you'd wave off a goal and everybody in the building, everybody in the world who was watching hockey knew it was a goal. And the team is being cheated because one guy in the didn't see the puck cross the goal line. And oh, yeah. I think it's it's made the game so much better.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, penalties are one thing, but goals, that's a whole other story. Um, all right, well, we're going to get more into this as soon as we come back from the Dave's Zambonis pick of the week. So, Dave, give me another beautiful Zambonis jam. Take it away, bud.
0: Hey Beaks, Dave Zamboni Thanks for passing it over to me It's their Zamboni pick of the day here uh, This one's called We Write the Songs I wanted to just try to figure out a song That could explain that Not only do we want to make it to the NHL uh, But it's the same as Wanting to be a rock star when you were a kid It's sort of A song that sort of Straddles between the two dreams But uh, in the end We get happy when we just know that We write the songs that make the whole rink sing See what I'm saying? Every day, growing up We would dream about this stuff Wanna be rock stars Or play in the NHL Sticks and skates on the local pub Guitar and amp in your friend's garage Argue about the name of the band Before you even learn a song
1: All right, man, Dave. Thank you always so much for an incredible jam. Uh, we we always love hockey uh, le- hockey jams. So anytime you want to go check out the Zambonis, um, just check them out on Bandcamp, Spotify. They've got a Facebook. They've got an Instagram. They uh, they might have a Twitter. I don't know. So we are here with Dave Jackson, hanging out, talking about uh, ta- talking about what uh, Dave Jackson's bringing up to. So um, let's let's take it back to the very beginning. Um, the the background yeah, yeah just uh, give us give us an idea of you know Dave Jackson as a kid and where where he really wanted to start out playing hockey
0: for sure well I grew up in Montreal for those who don't know Montreal winters are terrible okay. and uh, yeah so my dad would build a rink from uh, early November until mid March in the backyard started skating when I was probably two years old wanted to play for the Montreal Canadiens that's the they were winning the cup every year in the 70s and um, my goal was to play pro hockey, but wasn't good enough. started refereeing hockey when I was 14, and I did both at the same time, played hockey and refereed. And then when I never got drafted, obviously, I was in college, and I kept refereeing for pocket money, and I was pretty good at it. So I moved up to higher and higher ranks until I was doing uh, Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, and the NHL noticed me. That's when they invited me to camp, and it's the only job I've ever had up until now.
1: I mean, that's every kid's dream, like, just being able to stay on the ice and still make a buck. I, I actually always kick myself for not uh, pursuing a career in uh, refereeing. I mean, uh, it, it, so, yeah, it was just... Uh, and so, uh, talk talk to us about kind of, like, the, the, the selection process, like, going into higher echelons, if you will, of um, refereeing, because, I mean we like here in denver it's just like you know, you referee some games like you know you get a little bit of name uh notoriety and then uh, i mean you kind of keep stepping up that way how's it how how did it really go for you
0: well you've got to be lucky there's a when i when i got to the initial step i was good but there were plenty of other good hockey referees around and you've got to be lucky and good to get noticed and i had someone in my corner a mentor who got promoted to Quebec major junior as a referee in chief at the same time that I was sort of eligible. So he brought me along with him and he was pushing for me. He would talk to scouts. He would talk to NHL scouts, NHL referee uh, evaluators. He said, I got this kid who's really good. And he's, he was in my corner. I think you need somebody in your corner to get your foot in the door. And then once you get your foot in the door with the NHL, you've got to perform. And back in the day, Back in the day, it was one referee, it wasn't two, and you were doing the American Hockey League and the IHL, and you had four or five fights every night. You had brawls, you had five-on-fives, and you had to have jam. You had to be able you had no one to bail you out. Your partner wasn't going to bail you out. There was nobody to look out for you. There was no veteran. You come in there as a rookie, it's sink or swim. And I had bad games. I had games where I thought I'm way over my head. You know, I'm 21 years old, and a lot of these guys in that league at the time, it wasn't so much development. It was guys past their prime. So I'm refereeing 35-year-old guys with full beards, and I'm 21 years old. It was a real learning process, and you was, there were some games that were like the movie Slop Shot. I'm not going to kid you. And, <laughs> but you keep working hard, working hard, and then by the age of 25, I did my first NHL game. And that was pretty big, a big milestone. Guillaume Fleur was still playing. He was playing for the Nordiques at that point, but he was a childhood idol, and that was pretty cool. Um, First game was in Quebec City, so they ended up becoming the Avalanche, but... uh, to do a game in the Colisee in Quebec was was just an awesome feeling and after my first NHL game I went full-time NHL three years after that so I was 25 years full-time NHL
1: just just to be able to referee a guy like Gila guy I mean like uh, he's known you know, he's known for his just incredible skating skill and uh, but I mean back in the day You've got to have grit and just like the fact that the fact that you bring up the point that You're, you're a 21 year old guy. That's got to have a lot of jam I'm coming into it it's it's an unbelievable daunting task to tell these yeah like these uh 35 year old guys what to do
0: it is and I, I consider myself fortunate to have not only I refereed in all the old buildings the only buildings I never got into was the uh Olympia in Detroit and uh there might have been one other one I, I didn't get to but other than that I got to visit all these old iconic buildings Chicago Stadium Toronto, Nick uh, Leaf Garden, uh, the Autumn Buffalo, uh, Boston Garden, I mean, Montreal Forum, all these great places. And the people I was on the ice with, I spent you know, three and a half decades. I mean, I was on the ice with Gretzky, Lemieux, Ray Bork, uh, Nick Lindstrom, Joe Sakic. you just, I mean, the goaltenders, Eddie Belfour, Patrick Roy, Mar- Marty Brodeur, it's just, the list is endless. And I just feel so fortunate to have been
2: sharing the ice with these guys.
1: That is I mean, I mean to share the ice with any of these guys would be an absolute pleasure,
2: oh Dave. I was just uh curious getting into your uh refing career here as you uh, as you develop more into your refing career and as rule changes start to happen as you uh get going um how, how does that affect how you uh, call the game uh, does it uh, take time to adapt to rule changes as an official um, Would you uh mind giving us maybe a little bit of your insight on uh, that
0: well yeah, I mean the game changed I mean there was a there was a sea change between when I started and when you know where we are right now I mean if you guys remember watching hockey in the nineties. If you didn't have the puck, you had a guy water skiing on you. Uh, Even if you had the puck, I mean, the times I saw Mario Lemire go to the net with three guys hooking him, and if he didn't go down, we didn't call a penalty, and that was the standard back then. Now you see the game, and if you don't call that penalty, guys are looking at you like, what's going on here? So we had a second referee. We went from not calling penalties to just letting the boys play, you know, don't let the players decide. The, I mean, let the players decide the game. Don't be the one to do it. To now, you sometimes have to decide the game because if you don't make a call, you're still making a decision. And you're deciding not to let the scope players shine. So I think from the time I started in my career till I ended, you talk about rule changes. I mean, once again, it was, it was a sea change. It went from basically controlled mayhem to... Allowing the skilled players to do what they're supposed to be doing and penalizing the players that Aren't skilled enough to to compete
1: I mean, yeah, I mean when you look at the clutch and grab era, it's it's almost like black uh, like day and night at this point like uh, when when, when you're in all of these different kind of uh, Situations do you do you ever find it like daunting that the the, like it's all like it's changed so much
0: well, I'm, I'm out of the game now, so I watch it and I see sometimes the guys. I, I think what's daunting now is when people talk, I always talked about, we don't care how you call the game. We just want consistency. But, but that's not necessarily what you want because you could be consistently bad. You could be consistently poor and not call anything. And that's consistent, but it's not what the game needs. So I think what we try and do now is say we need referees to be true to the standard. And if they call the standard, that means the players and the coaches go out there and they expect the standard to be called. They know what a penalty is. They know what a penalty isn't. And if you're true to that standard, everything goes well. I think what I feel bad for guys and becomes daunting is when they're not true to the standard early on, things escalate, things start to snowball, and then they try and rein it in. And that's always tough to do. It's always tough to close the gate after the horse is out of the barn. So that's daunting but a lot of times it's self-inflicted and you need to you need to call the standard from the drop of the puck early in the period and then it's i, I never want to say it's easy the officiating is not easy but it becomes much more manageable when you're consistent and on standard from the drop of the puck well,
1: i mean let's be honest here Our uh, like a fan standard uh, of idyllic consistency is act, like pretty far from the actual truth
0: well, true. Sure. I've never seen a, I've never been a ball arena and seen the cloudy uh, the crowd erupt into booze when a penalty goes uncalled against the abs. You know, you'd, you'd think if they really cared about the standard or consistency, they'd be pretty upset when a penalty's missed on the abs. But that never happens. 30,000
3: so. 30, officials in the stands. You know better.
0: Yeah, yeah, there is, there is. But they all, they only see it one way
1: oh yeah i'm so irate when there's a call against the other team when playing the ass so irate yeah
2: <laughs> um real quick Dave uh to follow up with that so as like rule changes happening uh like while you're in the league, uh, Sidney Crosby basically changed the slashing rule for everybody. And I wonder what your opinion is on that since he basically slashed somebody's finger off and then uh, (laughs) we doubled in slashing calls the next year. Since uh, you weren't in the league then.
0: I think when something becomes apparent and becomes, I mean, I think think that's what happened this year with cross-checking. Last year in the playoffs, there was an abundance of cross-checks that went uncalled and people realized i think it has snowballed and it's gotten it's gotten a little bit out of hand we didn't change the rule and we didn't change the rule on slashing all we did was decide to enforce it a lot stricter um i think it's good i think anything in the hands whether it be a hook or a slash we used to allow that so often it didn't look bad but the player lost the puck and so now like just keep your stick away from the guy's hands. And the GMs love that because they're paying guys 8 ten million $9, $10 million. And he's out for three months with a broken pinky finger. That, that's not really good physical sense because some guy decides to take a whack at the hands. So we need to be consistent with that and stay on it all night. And the players are starting to learn. Ten years from now, you won't have slashes on the hands. But it, it's it's evolution. You can't just change it overnight. It's not black and white. It's It needs to evolve and needs to be called every night, no matter what the score.
3: Dave, I, that's a great answer to that question. Thank you so much for elaborating on that. But I have another question here. Is, you know, the, explain a little more the bureaucracy, the process of becoming a referee. Um, you know, there's tons of referees out there. Is it just the talk? How do you bring these guys up into the NHL? And second thing is, I want to know a little bit more is, How much do you guys get paid? Is there second jobs that come along with being an official, or do you guys just officiate? Oh, that's
1: good. Going straight straight for the fiscal sense here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I, I can give you a fiscal range. Um, A first-year referee in the minors, you have to work the minors before you go full-time NHL, but you sign an NHL contract. So a first-year referee in the minors makes approximately $70,000. And when, wow. he gets to the NA, when he gets to the NHL full-time, I'm, I'm guessing here because I've been out for four years and I haven't seen the new contract, but I'm guessing a first-year full-time NHL referee, I'm not talking linesman, uh, makes in the $125,000 range. And probably after 15 years, you consider top salary after 15 years, it's probably in the mid-400s.
3: That's awesome. Are, are your flights and meals paid for too?
0: yes oh, yeah you're from man.
3: the dude i've been getting from,
0: at it all wrong for
1: the my entire life i should have got in here <laughs> <this year. laughs>
0: from the time from the time but put that in perspective coaches are making between one and five million a year and the players are making between a million and ten million a year so we're doing pretty good and i i, I i'm not saying you should be paid more i think they're being paid great but it's it's a game that uh generates revenue and let's face it if you don't do your job i mean it's not like an appointment to be a professor where you get your your tenure and you're there i mean these guys are year to year and if you don't perform you're out of a job it's like uh, it's like being an astronaut like fired what do you do you can't just go to another company and be a referee you that's a complete career change so and the, as far as getting there now the shift right now, the focus is on athletes. They want athletes as referees. So I see a lot of kids sometimes that are refereeing minor hockey, and they say they know the rules well, they know this. But if you're not, if you're not in great shape, as good as shape as a hockey player, and you can't skate as well, they're not going to look at you now. are breaking up athletes. fights
3: and stuff like that. You have to be, you know, you have to have, to have jam right just to be able to. You, to, these you need to be it. strong
0: to break up fights. You need to be a good backward skater as a referee now to get out of the way. When there's one referee, you could get away being a great forward skater. But now as a two referee system, you need to be backing up as the play comes to you. And 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 more than that, it's all about the the impression that he gives. General manager sitting up in the in the press box, and he sees a referee on the ice who's out of shape, who can't skate, and he's like, "This guy doesn't belong on the ice with my athletes."
1: I don't think that goes unnoticed with the fans either. Like, I mean, if you see if you, if you see a linesman or a referee that's super, uh, super, I mean, lacking on the play, like that that instills a lot of uh, a lack of confidence in anybody. So yeah, I could absolutely sure. see that.
3: So you explain yeah. a lot of criteria, you know, being athletic, you know, being able to manage a game, have control and going to show you have yep. leadership in the game. But, you know, as you ref a game and you look at these different, you know, referees who are coming up. What's that talk like? So what are more criteria besides being an athlete and being able to skate fast? Like, what do you look for?
1: It's kind of the unsaid criterion. Yeah, I mean, definitely... yeah
3: you,
0: look, you look for a, a good communicator. Because uh, and if, uh, to put that in perspective, if you watch a young referee come up, a guy you've probably never seen, you look up his stats possibly, and he's got maybe only a couple dozen games in the league, and then you watch someone like Kelly Sutherland or Wes McCauley, and you can just see the reaction of the teams. You might see a penalty. It looks like a penalty or a trip, and the crowd will yell, and then the whistle will go, and they'll come over to Wes McCauley, and they'll, walk, they'll skate away not in their head. Yet they won't do that to the young referee right. because he hasn't earned he hasn't earned that kind of respect through his communication. But so I think as you become more experienced in the league, the players and coaches respect you, but they trust you, and that that's a bigger thing. And if you say I didn't see that, or you go over and say, Listen, I I just missed it, they'll accept that. But you have to be able you have to be able to be honest. You can't lie and say, Well, that's a because. Video will prove you wrong, so don't double down on being wrong. Communicate with them. Communicate with them and say, listen, from where I was standing, it wasn't a penalty, but I'll look at it after the game. I'll look at it between periods. And if I do, I'll come out and tell them, i go, listen, you were right. I missed that one, and they respect that. So I think communication and getting a feel for the game, but being a communicator can get you out of a
4: lot of trouble.
3: Of course. And, and on top of that point, though, before you guys have you know, anybody enter minors or NHL. Do you guys have like referee stats? Is there somebody who calls too many trippings, too many hooks? Like, do you guys really average that and say this is a referee that we want in the league who is you know very equal, or the?
0: I gotta be honest with you. I don't know. I'm sure they do, but management keeps that internally and they don't. Um, they don't share those stats with you, but they will talk to you in 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 generalities and saying. A lot of your penalties are not quality penalties. They're, they're penalties that probably shouldn't be penalties, and you need, to, you need to call the standard. And then what they'll do is have you work on watching videos. They get video, In fact, the staff gets videos every week. It's called calls of the week, and it'll be a collection of anywhere from 5 to 10 videos that show good calls that are on standard. And it's just to reinforce, this is what a penalty is. That's how guys learn, and it's a refresher every week. And they give them a rule quiz every week as well. Well,
1: that's, that's actually great because I, I've always wondered that. I was like, I mean, do, like, do guys really come together and say, hey, but uh, maybe that wasn't such a great call or that was, uh, that was an unbelievable call. Like, I mean, who, who could have who uh, really seen that or anything? So it's, it's good that there's a uh, standard that's really set.
0: Oh, it really is. And what it helps too is if you're wondering, if you go, geez, you know, that was a that was a a Thai hockey game with thirty seconds to go. I'm not sure if I should have made that call or not. And then you watch a video seeing three of your peers making just as gutsy a call with 30 seconds to go in a tie game, you go, all right, great, I'm not alone, I am on standard, and that's what the league wants, because they're showing it as a good call.
4: Yeah, so it really
0: cool. helps. It's positive reinforcement.
1: Yeah, you're not the uh, uh, island of the lonely man over here.
3: <laughs> and, and it's it's interesting to hear you guys do these quizzes to make sure you're up to date. Um, for me, when I was refereeing, I went to this, these 48-hour you know training sessions and watched these silly videos. So this is a penalty, or that's not a penalty, and have all these debates so as an nhl referee do you guys have to go through these once a year recertification process or do you
0: well yes uh we're not certified per se we go to training camp every year which is a week-long event and they mix skating tests phys- i mean our physical fitness tests at training camp are just as hard as any nhl player we're on the bike uh the shuttle run beep test push-ups sit-ups they measure your body fat um Long jump. They have all kinds of metrics on you, but then we have a ton of classroom stuff too, where they show video. They'll show an hour-long video just on one penalty, which could be elbowing. Then, then a couple hours later, there will be an hour-long video session on, on slashing. And there's debate after every call. Is this what we want to call? And guys will say, "Well, I don't think that's a penalty." And the boss will moderate it and. come to consensus and go, this is what we want called. So that's their refresher. That's their certification
3: once a year. That's awesome. There's there's checks and balances there for sure. Exactly. Yep.
2: Um, Dave, also, just to ask you real quick. So when you're out there making a call, you talk about being a good communicator. How do you deal with uh, players that you uh, feel are going to be a little extra vocal with you? Maybe a little extra chirp, if you may will.
0: Usually my, my, my best line was, I heard you the first two times. I don't want to hear you a third time. Are we cool with with that? And normally they say yes. And sometimes if you've got a guy chirping you off the bench, what you'll do is you'll listen to the coach. And you'll say it loud enough to the coach, so the player hears you. You might say, hey, I'm having a problem with this Cody guy here. And you, and you point at him. Never and you point with me. At never no. with me.
1: I have always been so kind to I'm, every referee I'm the that I've ever been with. Okay.
0: Well, <laughs> maybe I can say i got a problem with this Nick guy. And you say it loud enough so Nick hears you. And you say to the coach, listen, I'd like you to take care of it for me. Because if you don't want to take care of it, I'll take care of it myself. You might not like it. I usually, get, usually it gets taken care of.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, speaking of which, um, th- can you uh, can you give us a little dose of uh, the more unruly players that you've been with? I mean, like the more whinier players, like just kind of like the gnarly things that you have heard, uh, like just after any sort of uh, you know scrum penalty, anything like that.
3: Really, really did you gears.
1: Is
2: there one well, particular?
0: There's there's probably a dozen, and if I was sitting there with you guys with no mics on over beers, I could tell you them. All but right,
2: after <laughs> the Zoom, <laughs> they really are.
0: They really aren't, they really aren't uh, uh, PG or family appropriate. But uh, there, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of funny ones that aren't so much digs. Um, I had guys, I had guys yelling at each other about how much money each of them made. The benches were mad at each other, and they were comparing salaries. And uh, this was this was going way back and. I I was wearing an iTech helmet at the time, which they don't exist anymore. But guys used to make fun of the helmet and uh, I wore it for one season and it wasn't a great looking helmet. And they were going back and forth each other who made more money. And I stepped in and it was a silent second for a second and I said, "Um, you only make $400,000? I go, I get more than that for wearing this helmet. Which, I mean, it was an obvious joke. I got nothing for wearing the helmet, but everybody started laughing, and I had a couple of guys come over later and go, you really get 400000 for wearing that helmet? Like, like they were interested in maybe wearing it themselves, and I, I was just laughing and going, no. Uh, that helmet not like a lot
2: better all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah,
0: but it was just some levity to break the whole thing up. Everyone started laughing. Um, I, I remember giving Steve Ott a 10-minute uh, misconduct, and uh, when his penalty ended, he came back out on the ice, and he skated by me doing exaggerated stretching, you know. He had his, Almost like he was doing jumping jacks, and like sort of moaning like, oh, oh, feels good. I go, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm just just stretching. I've had a lot of time off lately. And uh, (laughs) he goes, other other team's not going to be too happy because I'm rested and they're tired and I'm going to score a goal here. And then, you know, he went on to score a goal that shift. So, you know, just kind of, just back and forth between officials. And most of the guys are good guys, even when they're mad at you. Once they cool down,
3: were there players that you look forward to rev and like see and talk to? Like do you have a lot of good camaraderie leadership, with some players? Yeah, yeah, there was, you know, guys that would bill you know, bitch at you. But there's always I think that so. At. Like who's somebody you look forward to or games you look forward to rev? Like, what was your favorite game to rev and who were the players? Well, I, mean,
0: I had lots of great games, but I had games where I mean I'll use Joe Sakic as as an example. He just embodied uh, being a gentleman. Um, I always enjoyed games with with Joe Sakic. He'd come over. Uh, sometimes he'd come over, and you know his coach was uh, Bob Hartley would tell him to go yell at me. <laughs> so joe would come over and bob would watch him come over and joe would come over raise his arms i go what's the matter joe there's nothing nothing but he raises his arms like he was yelling at me and he go "Uh, there's nothing wrong bob sent me over here so i'm just gonna spend like 10 15 seconds i don't gave the jacks i'm like yeah that's fine and uh and he skate away nodding his head and over to the face off and everything was good he was just he was a consummate gentleman we had guys like Adam. We had guys like Adam Foot, who um, one of the meanest and toughest players I've ever dealt with, and he's a friend of mine. I. I love Adam foot, but he just defy you. Um, and he's such a great guy. He'd come over and you'd talk with him, but you'd, you'd, you'd give him a break and say, you know, don't do that. Adam, you go, Oh, thanks for the warning. Jax. Thanks. I appreciate it. Drop the pocket. He'd do it. He'd do it right away. You know, cross check the guy, he cross check the guy in the head. Then he turn and look at you like, what are you going to do? And you know, usually they were down a man at the time and everything wasn't going to do anything. So, and he knew it, but, uh, he was just a great guy too. I got to talk to you after the game. Uh, you know, those abs teams, uh, the uh, late 90s or the 2000s, Ray Bork, uh, Rob Blake, they're just all just really good guys. Most of them are all gentlemen. I mean, guys like to dump on a guy like Claude here, always got along great with him. He was he was fun to talk to. We're both from Quebec. I refereed Claude and Jr. Awesome. Um, oh,
1: you guys are saying some pretty uh, R-rated stuff in French that nobody else could really understand. <laughs>
0: No, no, but uh, never, never. I guess I guess a funny story, somebody asked me once, uh, I was talking to a player who was pretty heated at me, and uh, the player told me after the game, he said, I'm uh, not the player, the fan said to me, I couldn't believe you were yawning when the player was yelling at you, and I said, well, what are you talking about? He goes, well, you had your hand in front of your mouth yawning, and <laughs> I said, no, that's just so the cameras couldn't read my lips. <laughs>
1: I, I, I'm actually saying some pretty gnarly stuff, but I mean, yeah, let's let's call it yawning for sure. Like the, the thing about Joe is, I think if he was ever really mad at you, he'd probably come over and say some like really, uh, I don't know, some, some sarcastic, but nothing, uh, nothing really uh, like sharp, if you will.
0: No, you know what? If we had. If I had 31 or 32 captains in the league the way Joe Sackick was, it, my job would, would have been pretty easy.
3: Oh, I, I, I could can, I can only imagine. <laughs> yeah. It's so cool that you get to just rub shoulders with some of the legends out there. Um, but there's also legendary games like Olympic games and playoff games, Stanley Cup games. How do you select officials for that? And how do you feel as an official to be selected for such you know appearances for big events? It's all
0: about, all about performance. I, I guess the All-Star Game is more about longevity. If you've been there over 10 years, it's kind of your turn to do the All-Star Game. I was fortunate to do two All-Star Games, but playoffs is all performance. And then your season performance gets you into round one, and then it goes out the door. It's how you perform in round one. So you can be Stanley Cup Finals one year. Next year you get in the round one and you make a bad call, you're done. You're not going to round two, round three or the finals. It's, uh, they cut down every round strictly based on performance in that round. And for Olympics, same thing. They choose based on performance. Um, I was lucky enough to do the Social Olympics in 2014. That was awesome.
2: Yeah, Dave, I was actually going to ask you, um, is there uh, a difference in – intensity i guess between reffin and sochi compared to like the nhl's playoffs Oh, they absolutely, absolutely absolutely
0: um now you asked the guys who did the gold medal game which i, I didn't do that was pretty much like doing a like a final i think but uh, a lot of games i did were were, uh, were just mismatches you know we had canada playing i think slovakia uh with all nhlers uh on a big rink much less body contact and one team was one team was a lot more talented so uh my experience in the games they were not as intense with as much physicality they were more like a really good regular season game having having said that i'm not talking about the gold medal game that was that was as intense that was an intense game as you'll find um but NHL playoffs, there's no comparison to the intensity. Uh, you take your best regular season game, and then you've got to ramp it up 10 times. It's
4: uh, everybody's going, you know, foot to the floor. Um, it's, it's intense.
2: One more follow-up uh, about the Sochi games. Uh, being there and getting to ref all the games, did you at all get to witness the TJ Sochi phenomenon?
0: I was sitting. I was sitting, probably uh, eight rows up the ice from that end where he took all his shots. And it was, it was so much fun to watch. It was amazing.
3: He's an NHL All Star, and <laughs> you ever, you literally, do you ever do like, do you ever do NHL All Star games?
0: Uh, I did one in two thousand two in LA, and then I did one my final year in Tampa. And it is amazing. There's no pressure. The players are there to have fun. You try, and stay out of, you try and stay out of their way, which is you know what I did a good job of doing. I didn't call any penalties in two All-Star games. But for an All-Star game, for me, it's you get to bring your family. And they get to experience the whole thing. My three kids had full access. They're down talking with players before the game in the locker room, trying on their sweaters and equipment. It was just uh, real special special event for the family i kind of feel like i mean just like w- for whatever the referees that they choose for
1: the all-star game it's really just like a bit a bit of a paid holiday for you yeah it's
3: so a little bit of a lull you're excited to be there and just have some fun and, and make some funny that's calls that's exactly like, what it is ridiculous calls that aren't in the rule book so <laughs> yeah
1: uh, i didn't really restructure this question very well so i'm gonna try to do my best here um what do you think? What do you think the the real uh the real lesson you've learned just from being a ref and being around? I mean, all these like, I mean, especially being in so many different generations of hockey. Um, I think what it, like, what has it done for you just in general? As, I mean, uh, a looking at the game of hockey and b looking at just where you've come from and
0: uh, where you're going in life. I think the toughest thing that is hard to learn is nobody's, nobody's ever going to tell you you did a good job. You're not, and don't look for it because if you chase affirmation from others, uh, you're never going to get it. And it's going to be a long career. Uh, There's no stats. You're not putting up 50 goals. There's no, there's no tangible evidence of you doing a good job. So you need to look at yourself in the mirror and tell yourself and be honest with yourself say I did a good job tonight or tell yourself, you know what? I could have been better tonight and it helps you in the rest of life. When people yell at you, people are mad at you. You might say I could get all mad or I could treat disrespect with, with respect and go, maybe they're having a bad day and just learn to walk away from it. Like don't, don't take everything so personal. And that, that helps you in life because most of the players are good guys. And then he hit of the moment. They're upset. They're frustrated. And you never know somebody, Driving the car behind you or your grocery store in line, they might be having a bad day too. Don't escalate it. Learn to de escalate situations where people are hot. And I think those are the lessons I take away from refereeing
1: which I mean it really plays a lot to I mean these days I mean so many people yeah they every day they they walk outside uh, outside with a chip on their shoulder for God knows why but I mean uh, it's it it really is up to kind of all of us to really just kind of like take that in stride kind of be a little more empathetic to uh, what uh, what everybody else is doing and just try your best to kind of uh, quell the situation if you will and I think I mean, I I'm not gonna lie, man. I I, th- I think uh, the hardest job ever would be a, a you know a, a professional sports referee because you are always the villain. You are always the villain, no matter what. I mean, uh, I mean, you you look at it like uh, if if there's one call that goes against everybody's the uh, uh, sports team, it's it it's always your fault would win I mean most of the time it probably isn't so it's like
2: it's yeah that's that's an incredible answer great um Dave so getting into more reffing what exactly is the process for when an official goes down um, we see it sometimes from time to time when a ref. A lot will get, yeah, when a ref will get clipped with a puck or something will happen. Or with the COVID yeah, stuff. Yeah, something, something happens where you have to work with a lesser crew. What exactly is the process that goes behind uh, changing on the fly to a lesser crew?
0: Well, you're going to. Uh, regular season, there's, there's no one backing up. So you're either going one referee, two linesmen, or you're going two referees, one linesman. Which we see a lot. Well, yeah, especially this year with COVID guys are getting failed COVID tests right before the game starts. So they, they go with three guys in the playoffs. There's always a backup. You're always going to have, somebody gets hurt, you're going to bring out a linesman, a referee in the, in the playoffs, because those games are too important to have a missed call. Uh-huh. It's just that lo- the logistics of having somebody backing up every game just doesn't make sense. Your staff would have to be too big.
1: Yeah. That's kind of what I was wondering too, because when I see that, uh, that one referee not on the ice, it kind of, it, it kind of makes me like uh, really uh, apprehensive about the game. Um, is there anything um, that you think would quell that or just, I, I mean, maybe from, from here on out, like actually having a, uh, like a conversation with the referees, just, as the players do uh, like after the games or in between intermission.
0: Are you talking about for for missed calls or things that don't go well? I mean, uh, just like
1: a general, uh, like a general up in like what's going on, you know, just like how they have a, uh, you know, uh, a, an interview with a player uh during intermissions or i mean shit they they even talk to like the coaches while they're on the uh like while they're on the bench do you uh, like do you think it'd be a little bit beneficial i mean just like to uh, show the fans what uh what really the referees are going through like if they had a game by game interview
0: i don't think that would be beneficial only because they only want to ref- uh, interview somebody when they're hot or when right. something's perceived to be missed. And if you're a defenseman that gives the puck away in the slot for the winning goal, you're probably not going to get an inter- interview after the game with that player. <laughs> that's a, uh, that's
1: a funny you know, they're not going to make
0: him available. They're not going to make him have to relive it immediately. So I, I don't think for officials, um, I think that's kind of why they have me for ESPN. Uh, they, they come in and... Have me explain the situations.
1: Well, yeah, which is actually a perfect segue into where, you know, like the next part of this. Uh, like, I mean, you're now uh, a, a full analyst for ESPN, kind of uh, doing the same thing that uh, NFL, all, all like old NFL referees. Such as Dean L-
2: Blandino on I TV. Would say now. Old,
1: old. NFL referees, but I mean, yeah, you're there to kind of uh, make sense of the call. Uh, all right. So, yeah, uh, I mean, just uh, give us kind of like the uh, the, uh, the rundown on why you uh, decided to take the uh, analyst job at ESPN and kind of like maybe the uh, differences that uh, comes with it rather than being a, a referee on the ice, then like having a, a bit of a like maybe a outward look towards most of these plays.
4: For sure. Um well, to start with, I was I was a supervisor. I was working for the league, mentoring the younger officials. And because of COVID, I kind of got shut down and furloughed. And when ESPN took on
0: this contract to be the official uh, voice of the NHL, they
4: thought they would do what they do with football. You know, they have the retired referee in football. I believe they have them basketball as well. And they decided, why not do it in hockey? that's what the hockey fan wants they want to know they just want to know what's
0: going on they want to know why was that call made why was that call missed and what's the criteria that we're looking at right so they decided they went to the nhl and said can you recommend somebody and said my name came up they called me and said are you interested and i said hell yeah of course i'm interested and
4: the rest is, the rest is history i mean they set me up with a camera in my house, much like I'm doing with you guys right now. And I go on live with all their production games. So whenever ESPN is producing a game, they've got me there and I'm there to answer your questions.
2: They let you go live from just your house. You don't have to go office anywhere. You're just.
4: Yeah, no. So uh, yeah, I, I go live from a camera at home. Um, sometimes two games at once, sometimes. I got a split screen going, and I got to pay attention to what's going on. I honestly,
1: I've I, I've enjoyed having you know uh, you or somebody like uh, explaining why, like what the steps were, and why why this uh, call was made because they like just like you said. There's so many times that the fans have have been left like basically just thinking why 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 would that call get made why it why 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 you know
3: it is and hobby such a beautiful sport in general it just people watch the screen they think it's all fighting you don't see the X's and N's inside of it but you know, someone like you, Dave, who was able to sit there and split what off is, or an icing simply or why this, you know, outboat, whatever it is, I think just brings more insight and brings more people and interest into the game.
1: It's a special, it's a special position of analytical process.
3: You understand it, you're into it more.
0: Right. And I think that's how you grow the game. That's how, that's how you get new viewers. That's how people who've never played the game and they go, well, I don't watch it because I don't understand the rules. Well, I'm trying to help them understand the rules. And I think the
4: play-by-play and uh, color men that they have, color women that they have, do a good job of bringing me in when there's something that's not normal.
1: What do you think being a referee analysis adds to
4: the game? Ooh, yeah, for sure. I think, well, like I said earlier, I believe it's like growing the game. Uh, there, there's non-traditional hockey markets in the U.S. that people don't watch the game because they don't understand the game and I think by me explaining the rules when something out of the ordinary happens I believe a knowledgeable fan base is what everybody looks for and that's what ESPN wants. they want a knowledgeable fan base that will grow the game that will pass on to their kids because Let's face it. If you don't play a sport growing up, you probably don't watch it on TV because you don't understand the rules. And that's the way I am with football. I don't understand the rules. I never played it, so I don't watch it a lot. Now, you know, they pioneered the referee bringing him in and explaining rules and what's a good call, what isn't, and it makes it a lot more sense for me now because I watch a game and I go, "Oh, that's a that should be a penalty," and then they'll bring the guy in and explain it. Go no, the referees made the right call, and then. Now, when I watch a game, I have increased enjoyment because I understand it.
1: Oh, great, right. and I think that's one of the biggest complaints that I've heard from um, novice hockey hockey uh, watchers is that, well, like, like, I mean, we get it all the time. You know, we try bringing people into the sport, and they're like, Why, why'd that happen, or why'd this happen, and what, why'd what happen? Like, it's, it, you know, it, and I really do think it does add a lot to the sport. So um, what you're doing is great, man. absolutely love it. Um, I mean, thank you so much for for the addition to the game. Um.
4: Sure. And it's a fine line for me because most of these guys I I worked with and most of them are my friends and I don't want to be the guy saying, well, that was a terrible call or that was a missed call. And my bosses uh, are, I've been great in that sense. They said, we don't want you to do that. We want you to explain the criteria. We want you to come in and explain what's going on. What are these guys looking at? And what's the criteria for that to be, either a penalty or a goal or no goal and just have me explain it and then flip it back to the announcers, the play-by-play in the color. And we can let the the viewer decide if it's a good call or not. They're not asking me to say it's a good call or bad call. Well,
1: I mean, even like heavy hockey fans like us, like we we appreciate it because you know we're we're so invested in the game. Anyways, it's just like uh, it's it's nice to be left with something, um, something to something uh, substantial to kind of uh, just move along with the game. And uh, we appreciate that, man, and uh, what you're doing for the game, uh, always always incredible, uh, Dave. But just before we get out of here, man, um, thank you so much for your time. Uh, do you want to say shout? before we get going how can people follow you social
3: media what are you doing just let us know how they can reach out to you yeah well, i've got a twitter account which uh, you know, i'm trying to build my followers
4: up it's espn ref nhl oh, i shit. post on a lot of rules i post a lot of video it's quite it's quite interesting if you're into seeing examples of rules and good calls so come on give me a follow
1: Oh, no. I mean, uh, OTBWB is going to give you a follow here soon. Um, so, uh,
2: in, uh, anybody, anybody want to send any other shout-outs real quick? I'm all good on this episode. Dave, thanks for your time. I mean, just
3: to you and all of us out there, you take control of the game, you keep players safe, and you make the game a, you know a lovely game to play, as always. So, I mean, big shout-out to all the refs and what they go through. You take a lot of shit, so thank you. Thanks for having me, guys.
1: Oh, cheers, Dave. Uh, have a great night, buddy, and uh, we'll talk to you again here soon. Bye bye.
3: Good luck
4: with everything, guys. All
1: right, all right, buddy. Have a good night. So, thus ends another wonderful episode of On the Bench with Beaks. Uh, you can always follow Dave Jackson at ESPN Referee NHL on Twitter, and you can always follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And you can always stream us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Podbean, Pocket Casts, Reason. And now you can actually hear our episodes on Facebook directly. And thank you to all of our sponsors, Dog Nation and Beer Nation, and to all of our monthly supporters. We love you so much. Thank you for listening. As always. So, until then, hush. See
3: you later. Keep your head up, stick on the ice, right? Vice versa. And so
1: do. Uh, skate away.
4: Try the damn thing, see what happens.